0: Can I say I will give it
1: up? Dylan, Paul, Thomas. Correct.
0: That's a uh, that's a that's a heavy name. There's a lot of uh, history with that name. There is. Was that intentional?
1: It was. I think uh, my mom was a Bob Dylan fan. Okay. And uh, I think, if I remember correctly, the naming me after the poet was maybe my dad's idea. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But do you know the story with Bob Dylan's name? No. His real name is, or original name is Robert oh, Robert Robert Zimmerman, Robert Zimmerman yeah, yeah, and yeah. he actually changed his name to Bob Dylan because he was inspired by the poet.
0: Oh, Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, welcome, uh, welcome to the podcast. Welcome Thanks. to my kitchen. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, so, I was able to find out just a couple little nuggets on your Facebook page. You are originally from Tempe, mm-hmm. um, born and raised, right? And I was curious, like, what um, music was inspiring to you kind of growing up? Is there a particular record that you remember hearing in the house? Or um, did you kind of grow up in a musical household? Was there, you know, music around? So maybe we start there.
1: I'm lucky to have a a dad that was a musician and had hip taste in Hmm. music. And uh, the first... Music that ever really inspired me to want to be a musician or even like really get into listening to music was Zeppelin mm. And even a, a particular track, you know, bring it on home Yeah So that they do that blues intro and then that riff comes in that Jimmy Page oh, I just, such a that, good tune. that just like totally blew my mind I think I was like 10 or something yeah. like that and that I like had to I remember dabbling around on on a bass first And my dad taught me the basic, the kind of grooves, you know, and I was like tinkering on the bass and I heard that Zeppelin riff and I was like, I have to play guitar. (laughs) So he got me a a Squire Strat. Nice. And that was for like my 11th birthday or something like that.
0: What instrument did your dad play?
1: Bass. Upright and electric. Okay. And uh, he was very much all about american roots music Mm -hmm. so he he wasn't like trying to be the uh not to say that he wasn't an artist but he wasn't trying to be like oh what's my unique voice kind of thing and like writing his own shit or whatever he like sounded like the records Mm -hmm. you know like he he could get like that willie dixon thing Mm. or or whoever you know Mm. and um those were some of the best compliments I think he got when recording in the studio with people like Ike Turner, like he recorded at Clark Rigsby's place with Ike Turner no or whatever. Yeah, I think wow. everybody was really impressed that he nailed the original like organic sound. It's like this sounds like it was recorded in the 50s or whatever, huh. you know, and then he was just an encyclopedia uh, when it came to like you could bring up any artist, any record, whatever. And he's like, oh, like if he doesn't have the copy, like he, he's heard it at least or yeah. whatever It's pretty wild. And so he was a gigging musician in town? Mm-hmm. He was the house bass player at the Rhythm Room for 13 years. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So he knows Bob, obviously. He does. Yeah. <laughs> does he play with Bob still? Or uh, My dad passed. Oh, no shit. Yeah, 10 years ago. Oh, God. Sorry about that. No, that's all right. Yeah, but um, he, he, was at, he was the house bass player for 13 years. Wow. He's in the Arizona Blues Hall of Fame. Okay. Mm-hmm. No shit. Yeah, and so his resume was pretty extensive. Um, and is your mom still around? She is in Alaska. Oh. She moved there, I think it was maybe like nine years ago, and she moved there to retire because she is from Chicago, and then she lived here in Phoenix for a long time, she was tired of the big city life uh-huh. and wanted to do the small town thing and just completely change it up. And my oh. my stepdad's family is all there. He got a good job out there. Mm-hmm. So it just made sense. A lot of people are surprised, like, wow, she went to Alaska to retire. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's not the most common, <laughs> right, right. you know. And yeah. so, but yeah, I mean, it makes sense because it's just different from everything she's ever it's, known. It's way off the grid, that's for sure. Yep. And so she's in a small town called Palmer, and it's, a, it's about an hour northeast of Anchorage. Wow. I've been there five times and I went once in the winter and I'm not trying to do that again. No. No, I went for Christmas and I'm I'll pass on <laughs> <laughs> See in the summer. <laughs> it's beautiful in the summer. I it's, bet. It's cool, man, when it's like it's cold enough where you can wear winter clothes, but it's like Winter here is summer there, right? And so you leave Arizona in July, and then you go you go there, and it's light out until one or two a.m. And right. I'm sta- standing outside having a fire, drinking beer, and it feels <laughs> like it's like five p.m. or something. You know, it's cool. I that's I, awesome. I dig that. Yeah. yeah. Did she? Um, did she? Was she also big into music? Kind of growing up. More of a, a fan. Mm-hmm. I mean, she like played French horn in high school or something like that. But okay. she was never like trying to be a musician at all or anything. Got you. Yeah. Do you have siblings? A half-sister. A half-sister? Yep. And is she music, music as well? or No, uh, visual art. Visual art? Yep, drawing, uh, maybe painting. I think like she does a lot of digital, digital art and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her.
0: Um. And did I see that you did uh, Mesa Community College? Mm-hmm. Was that a thing?
1: Yeah, I did that for two years. Yeah. That was an interesting experience for me because growing up with my dad, um, it was a lot of blues, R&B, classic rock, country, uh, super, like, I always thought of it as kind of, like, honky stuff. He really dug back to, like, the oldest, playing, like, tiny little, like, 78s on, like, a legit old record player, like, mm-hmm. the oldest shit I've ever, you know? Yeah. And so, like, I I grew up with all that kind of stuff, and he wasn't really a jazz guy. It wasn't like he hated it or anything, but he just wasn't, like, sitting at home listening to the jazz records, mm-hmm. you know? hmm so it was totally new for me to go to, uh, I went to NSA for high school, an art school, mm-hmm. and that's where I was first introduced to jazz. Hmm. And and then going from there to community college, it's like my relationship with jazz was totally based on school.
0: Mm-hmm. Academic. Yeah,
1: yeah, and that wasn't a great... First impression. Like, I think if you, if that's something that you're going to actually pursue, it should just, you should feel inspired. Like it was a certain record or performance that you just like couldn't get enough of. And then this is what made you want to do that. Mm -hmm. When your teacher is saying, uh, here's your options, classical or jazz. It's just kind of like, okay, like that just was not a great, that was not a great like introduction for me, you know? And then to top that off, like we all have our things that come natural to us and things that don't and reading has just been a struggle for me so then like i'm playing this music that i haven't really gotten into i got a chart in front of me and shit it was just really kind of not the best experience for me in that way yeah but then like i learned a ton i met a ton of amazing people and it was like i would say at the end of the day it was it was good for Mm -hmm. me to go to school for music but it was just kind of a strange relationship for me
0: yeah it's it it, (laughs) that reminds me of like i took piano for a couple years Mm -hmm. and we were playing, you know, classical music, and I and I and I was the same way. I guess I was like, this music just doesn't speak to me, and so I don't want to spend my time learning it. Mm-hmm. I want to play like Billy Joel or whatever, something that 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 I can connect with on a level, and not feel like it's pulling teeth to to learn this Bella Bartok tune or or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I can totally relate to. You have to come at the instrument in your own way and kind of lean on your natural, um, your natural passion or, or your natural, um, organic, um, connection to a particular style of music. Mm-hmm. Do you think, um, so I'm assuming that, that the, the curriculum at MCC, as you say, it was, it was either classical or jazz and there wasn't really anything in between.
1: At the time, I don't think there was. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, going to school for other kinds of music, I can, I can see that as being cool and beneficial. I don't want to knock it, but it's also like, I just kind of come from the idea that, uh, it's best learned like in the garage with your buddies or at a jam session or, you know, maybe, maybe you take lessons from somebody, but just kind of just the act of doing it, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how it was for a lot of those jazz heroes back in the day too, is like, you know, like Miles went to Juilliard and all that, but he, I mean, he got his real jazz education being on stage with Thelonious Monk. Right. And you know, so it's like, I was just lucky that like when I was younger, my dad brought me to blues jams and stuff like that. And I'm sitting at home with Zeppelin records or whatever. And then like going to NSA, there's kids my age that are super talented and cool and stuff. And so Tell
0: me about NSA. I, I don't know if I've heard of that.
1: Uh, New School for the Arts. And okay. it's it's actually NSAA, New School for the Arts and Academics. Okay. And where is that? Is that in Tempe? It's in Tempe on Apache and Terrace. Okay. Yeah, it's over by the where Pita Jungle used to be yep. and Filibertos and stuff. It's yep. right next door. Okay. Yeah. Um,
0: do you have any... Uh, we were just rapping about how Tempe has changed um, even in the last 20 years. I mean, do you have any early memories of what that scene was? I mean, it sounds like your dad was taking you to, diff- like, did you go to long longs with him or like, Or I'm assuming you went to the rhythm room with him on occasion? and.
1: First time I ever played on like a real stage, I think was the rhythm room. Mm. I have a photo of it too. Well, how old are you? 13. <laughs> 12 or 13. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And I was playing guitar. Okay. My dad was on bass. Yeah. Do you know Do you know Bill Tarsil, harmonica player? I don't. From the Rocket 88s. I don't. He, I guess the name sounds familiar, but he was playing drums. No shit. That night, yeah. Okay, no, that's
0: cool. So you, your first instrument was the bass,
1: kind I, of. Or? I dabbled on it for a little while, but yeah. then you
0: wanted to play guitar. Mm-hmm. Anything
1: else? uh my dad got me a drum set too it it was cute man it was like real wood drums like legit drums but they were small for a little kid yeah 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 and so like I dabbled on that too but like when I discovered Zeppelin I was like guitar is what it's gonna be yeah yeah
0: and when did you then make bass kind of your primary instrument
1: so I was in high school I was a junior I think I think I was 16 or maybe maybe 17 at the time. I don't remember, but I was like a junior in high school. And I remember my dad used to take these out of town gigs, Strawberry, Jerome, like Payson, whatever. And they would be two, three, four days, Uh you know, uh and he would trust me with the house. And around that time, I brought home a bad report card. And he was pissed about it. And he was like, all you fucking do is play the Xbox and the guitar. (laughs) So uh, he took away the Xbox and he took away the guitar shit, you know. And I had the house to myself for a few days, and I had discovered uh, Jocko right, oh, right around that time. Yeah. And he, my dad didn't take any of the bass shit, because he didn't think I was going to play it. <laughs> so he leaves me with the house for like three days, and I just sat there and like learned Jocko shit oh, for like three days. Wait, yeah. how old were you? I was 16 or something. Okay. 16 going on 17, I think. That's a lot of responsibility for a young kid. It, it is, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of
0: trust. Just make sure the house doesn't burn burned down by the t- <laughs> i'll be back in a couple days <laughs> for sure <laughs> <laughs> there's mac and cheese in the in the in the pantry but yeah help yourself yeah do you have any um early memories of of tempe and, and what that scene was like
1: i can't say what the scene was like mm-hmm. um i remember the laws were a lot more lax about bringing a kid to a bar mm-hmm. and as long as it's you're not even close to being 21. I mean, you're 13, 15, whatever. Nobody yeah. cares. You're here with your parent, you know, right. like point them out to the bartender, like whatever. I'm not trying to, you know, it was, right. it was chill. Yeah. So my dad could bring me to some cool places. So I experienced, uh, what was it called? Uh, Warsaw Wally's. I don't know that. That's called Chopper John's now. Okay. I think. Yeah. And then, um, He used to take me to a blues jam. It was like 32nd and Thomas and it, what was it called? Like Pat Murphy's or something like Hmm, that. hmm. Um, A kind of divey place on the Southeast corner. Hmm. I think it's 32nd and Thomas. Hmm. And that was a blues jam we would go to Mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. And then there's that experience where I played with him at the rhythm room and there were times when I was just there hanging And some of the cooler experiences that I had is when my dad brought me to the studio. Mm. So my dad record, he would record at Clark's like fairly regularly. He did a lot over there Mm -hmm. and he recorded with Bo Diddley. And so, and, um, everyone was there except Bo and Bo was super, super late and everyone was starting to get kind of pissed. Like the vibe was like, we don't care who you are. Like, where the fuck are you? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, finally... Bo walks in the door, and uh, prepubescent Dylan goes, Hey, everybody, it's Bo Diddley. (laughs) <laughs> Everyone's cracking up and it kind of like lightened the vibe a little yeah, bit, you know, yeah. and that was kind of like, and I got to meet him and stuff. Cool. And I've, I've got like an original Bo Diddley vinyl that he signed and oh, stuff awesome. at the house. So that was like a really cool experience and story. And I remember that well.
0: So, you know, you've known Clark for almost
1: all your life then? A little bit. Yeah. I wow. mean, I mean, I would say like, we've definitely like met a few times and like the, a lot of these experiences are from when I was a kid and mm-hmm. I would still love to work with him. I plan on it. Yeah. You know? um, but yeah, that's that's one of my favorite stories to tell about my dad. Yeah. The, yeah.
0: That's hip. Yeah. I did. Cut, I cut a record with Clark. Um. He's got a great ear. He knows. You know. He knows exactly what to do. And um. Yeah. Great room to record in. That, that I, I have very fond memories of that. Um. Of that experience. He's just so knowledgeable. And uh. And man. Yeah. He has killing gear and the room just sounds right and he knows how to capture it it's like you would you would expect that to be the case with someone who's had this room for so long they know exactly how to dial it in Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. the housing market in phoenix is crazy right now being a buyer uh, can be very competitive and you're going to want a team who's looking out for you maybe i don't know maybe you want a team With 25 years experience selling here, I got it. The Engstrom team, y'all, Becky, Carrie, and Kate. This is the mother-daughter real estate team with Coldwell Banker Realty. Maybe you're wanting to sell your home. They're going to walk you through this process. They will tell you the things that you should and shouldn't do to get the house ready to sell. And they're going to get you the most bang for your buck. Call my friends, Becky, Kate, and Carrie at 480-250-1936 or find them online, engstromteam.com, E-N-G-S-T-R-O-M-team.com. So what happens after MCC? You're there for two years and then you, what, decide that you want to just be a full-time musician or what was that transition
1: like? I had a realization that um, I was just going for the music and I wasn't taking any academic classes or anything. So I don't know that a degree was even the plan to begin with, mm-hmm. but I just realized like after a couple years at a community college, it's like you're starting to think about transferring to university. And I just was like, well, I don't wanna teach at a university. Mm-hmm. So if I get the, if I actually move forward with getting a degree, how is, what is this gonna do for me? Mm-hmm. Like, I basically want to play my own music and I want to be a freelance musician. I want to tour and record and be an artist. It's like, I don't know what the degree will do, you know, and it's a lot of money and stuff. And I I had a small amount of student loans, like 10 grand or something like that. And I was like, I don't think I want to put myself in a bunch of debt Mm -hmm. to get a degree. And then I do what? with it. Right. And then my, my mom was just trying to be pragmatic and she's like, well, if you have a degree and things don't work out with music, then you have a plan B, like Mm -hmm. this can help you get other jobs and stuff. And Mm -hmm. I don't really want to treat music like there's a plan B though. Right. I don't, I don't know if that's like naive or not, but it's like, I really just want to pour everything into it. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, I guess I'm rolling the dice on the, if you build it, they'll come kind of thing, Yeah, you know? And it's like, I really just want to give it everything. And I, I believe in it.
0: Well, you're certainly not the first person to say that even on this podcast. I mean, um the whole it's funny, the whole concept of the plan B um to some uh and I would even say for me um doesn't really exist. Like you can come in and out of music and and kind of use that that passion when you need it and sometimes you can step away, but music isn't like I don't know, you are, you either have that passion for it or you don't, mm-hmm. and so plan B is just like, no, music will always be here. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna give it all i I have at the moment, and then if I need to step away for a moment, I can do that too um but yeah the the whole concept of the plan b um doesn't is like contradictory, it's like you can't deny this a passion for something, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, yeah, so were you able then to just transition into being like a full-time musician or what was that like?
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm grateful that I picked up the bass because I mean, living, living in AZ, you can work on pretty much any instrument. It's like, I'm so grateful to be living in a place where there's so many gigs. I mean, I know, Mm -hmm. I know people that live in, in these bigger cities, LA, Portland, Chicago, New York, whatever. It's so competitive. Mm -hmm. It's so dense. It's so expensive, you know? And it's like, it had, those places have their perks obviously but then living here it's like oh man it's pretty reasonable for me to get cover gigs original gigs Mm -hmm. church gigs like it's it's easier here to pay your bills doing this for sure and then being a bass player especially it's like everybody needs a bass player yeah you know and so it's like I I didn't really have that in mind when I started playing bass I really was just kind of inspired by things like Jocko and like Funk and R B records and like Herbie's Funk stuff. I just, my taste of music went from the guitar rock thing into that. Yeah. So that's all that inspired the bass. And then it was just a caveat, like, oh, everyone needs bass player. Right. So then it it took no time at all to start getting pay, paid gigs. Yeah. I was like 17 or 18. I had been playing the bass for maybe a year wow. and I was like working. Yeah. There was a drummer that doesn't live here anymore. His name was Zach, uh, Zach Bracy, and he hosted an open mic off of university you know where the chuck box is
0: ah uh, in the
1: chop shop yes okay yeah, yeah yeah there's a parking lot next to chop shop and that used to be a place called uh boathouse barneys or something like that <laughs> I love these old strange <laughs> names you know i uh, we're not even,
0: i mean okay tempe lake okay there's that is a body of water but really a boathouse in tempe you know? like know. what the fuck are we doing here Jeez, yeah boathouse barnies yeah I
1: <laughs> so i hosted an open mic there and him and i would set up on the on the corner of mill and fifth okay so it was like the northeast corner of fifth and mill we would play drums and bass and that was it no shit and just improv and people dug it you yeah. know and i have some funny experiences from that too man uh, one time we were playing on that corner and there's a hotel what is it twin palms or something like yeah, that big yeah. pink fancy yeah, yeah, yeah. hotel right around the corner there was a, like an adult film convention going on there and so all the all the porn stars are like walking mill avenue and we're sitting there playing and this girl she pulls her tits out and she grabs the tip jar and she's got her tits hanging over the tip jar and she walked around with the jar and oh she god. she like made us a whole bunch of bread oh you know god. oh my god yeah but this is when I'm like 17 years old like oh my god. doing these gigs and playing on the street corner and stuff and yeah. then when I turned 18 I was like super eager to move out. It didn't even take me two weeks and I was out of my dad's place. Yeah. And I got a place uh, right by MCC. So that's the only time I've ever technically lived outside of Tempe. But it's Mm. like Tempe-Mesa border. Right. You know? Right.
0: I had um, Lee Pereira on the podcast a little while ago and he told me a story. Um, His first meeting, you, was on one of those corners. Like I think he was playing... He was busking, mm-hmm. and you just like rolled up. You just had your bass in your hand. I don't think he. I think he said that you know there was no case or anything. You just kind of rolled up and said, "Hey, can I can I jam with you?" Yeah. And then like you went and got uh, maybe a little uh, a little amp or something, and just set up next to Lee and started
1: playing. So here's here <laughs> so he was busking with a drummer. Okay. And I, I didn't have anything with me, but I I was this is during the time when I was playing on the street corner of Fifth and Mill. Yeah. And I don't live far. And my shit was at my buddy's house who lived even closer than I did. Uh-huh. And I just walked up and said, can I jam with you guys? And he didn't know what to expect and said, yeah, sure. And I came back and it, it, it was actually a big amp. Oh, it really? was like a 410 <laughs> cabinet and I had it on a dolly Yeah. and I pushed it down fifth and then down mill it's probably almost a half mile of like (laughs) (laughs) pushing this giant bass rig down the street and i just showed up and started jamming with those guys and i i have a photo no kidding of that and how old are you you were like a 17 17 yeah because i i turned 18 and moved out right away so i was still living at home when this was yep
0: and you've been working with lee I guess since then, right? I mean, it's been a minute.
1: It was there was a handful of years that went by where we didn't see each other. Mm -hmm. I think five, six, seven years or something like that of Mm -hmm. nothing. And he had a gig at that Aquarium Odyssey. Yes, yeah. And he was he was playing with Ira, and he needed a bass player. And Ira said, "Oh, you should hit up Dylan." And he kind of was like, "Oh man, like I hadn't thought about that dude in a while or whatever." Yeah. And uh, like that gig went well, and I don't remember you know what? I might've played with him at Odyssey first, or it might've been at the Jade bar first. I Mm. played, I played with him and Miguel. Mm -hmm. Maybe that was the one. And it's like, we, we hadn't played together in forever. And Mm -hmm. then the gig just went like amazingly. And he's been using me ever since. And it's been, I don't know, three, four years now of, that's awesome of playing together. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Tell me how COVID, um, affected your, not only your career. I mean, everyone had to kind of pause for a moment but did it affect your creativity did it did it give you time and space to uh, pursue something else like what how did you use that that time
1: i used it more so to take a break from music and i've asked a lot of musicians this question too and you'd think oh man i have you know, stimulus checks, unemployment, all this free time, what an amazing time to practice and record and like be productive at home or something. And it's actually the opposite. That's how it was for me. And that's what I've heard a lot too, is like, my whole life is just music. I don't have a ton of other hobbies or like a day job or anything. It's just music. And then COVID happens. And it was kind of a, an opportunity to step back for a little bit. And that has its pros and cons. Um, one of the cons, I would say, is it kind of took the wind out of my sails creatively. Mm. I I developed a solo project, so I have two guitar amps and a bass amp. Oh, that's right. I remember seeing that. Yeah, and I, I there's a, just one guitar, one bass, pedal board, laptop with Ableton, guitar, two guitar amps and a bass amp, and then I can have parts here, parts here, parts, whatever, you know? Yeah. And I was starting to get more and more comfortable on stage by myself because I've always been a sideman, always. So then, to be up there alone playing your own stuff is kind of like it was a little nerve wracking at first, and then writing for that setup is a little bizarre because I've I've given myself like some rules or some obstructions with mm. that project, mm. and one of the things I told myself is I none of it will be pre recorded. Mm-hmm. I want everything to be live, and that means that every single tune is built one part at a time, and so you, like. Writing for that is odd. Yeah. Like, imagine like yeah. if you have a band with three other guys, and it's like, okay, every single song needs to be built one part at a time. That like, right, the band could never be all in. It's kind right. of strange, you know. Yeah. So, and it was a lot of like looping, right? It's and it, all looping. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, like, I'm getting better at playing alone, at writing for this platform, all this kind of stuff, and I played either six or seven solo shows, mm-hmm. and I was starting to get kind of hyped about it and feel the momentum and then COVID Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then it's not like I hit it hard at home alone working on it and then when COVID passes or settles down a little bit I can come out and I've got all this stuff I didn't really do that it's Mm kind of just I've kind of just neglected it this whole time Mm -hmm. but maybe I needed a break from Mm -hmm. music you Mm -hmm. know so I don't know Pros, pros and cons
0: yeah So the Story Goes is sponsored by Santan Brewing Company located right here In Chandler, Arizona. Now, I love Santan. They have delicious beers. They have award-winning spirits. They have a couple great brew pubs. But they also just opened up a new event and catering space called Santan Gardens. Now, they have a couple events coming up. Mark this on your calendar. April 30th. Beer, bourbon, barbecue, and a band. Come on. Arguably four of my favorite things on the planet. And it features my good friends, JTM3. Tickets are on sale now. It's a family-friendly event. There's a food truck from 5 to 6.30. They got sandwiches and brisket and and burgers and grilled cheese and live music and beer. And did I say bourbon? Uh, What are we doing with our time? Uh, Get your tickets. Go to SantanBrewing.com forward slash events. Santan Gardens, is located at 495 East Warner Road, Chandler, Arizona. I will see you April 30th.
1: You have a new project? I do.
0: Yeah, tell me about
1: it. Inkblot. Mm-hmm. I, uh, that name came from a tune that I wrote a long time ago, probably seven, eight years ago. I came up with a solo project tune. So I make a, I make a guitar and bass loop, and then the drums are scooting over by a 16th note until hmm. you get back to where you started hmm. so this guitar and bass loop you get to hear it in like four different ways hmm. you know like when the downbeat changes it's almost like a new riff right know? right and I was like oh it's kind of like a musical like ink blot. like it just is what it is and it's like I could see this or this or this or this there's mm-hmm. all these possibilities so uh, there was uh, a couple different iterations of ink blot. I, I had a drummer named uh, Micah did you ever meet Micah Hummel?
0: The name sounds familiar.
1: He was but. my roommate. Mm. And him, uh, do you know a guitar player, Alex Oliverio? Also, no. So the three of us had a trio, and I had a, this kind of thing in mind genre bending, instrumental, fusion y kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know? And so we did that for a little bit, and it kind of fizzled. And then, uh, do you know Jordan Tompkins? <laughs> no. Oh, I don't know any <laughs> of these people. <laughs> no, none of them. <laughs> I, I tried it with. Um, Alex and Jordan and myself and then that kind of fizzled too which is fine you know yeah. and I just a few years went by and finally um, I heard Garrison one night he was playing with do you know Bailey the bass player Bailey Zick yes I do yes I do he was yes, playing know someone <laughs> yeah he was playing with Connor and Bailey and I think it was at Cornish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For, oh, for the jazz jam. Yeah, and yeah. they do a set first, you know, and they played uh-uh. a, a tune called Deluge and they did Taylor Ixty's version of it. And so it's not like this typical swing thing. The Taylor Ixty version is this really complex, mathy, hmm. crazy thing. I would say like fusion thing, you mm-hmm. know and I told Garrison I was like man I've been wanting to play that kind of music for a long time you know I'm not like a swinging upright type cat I was mm-hmm. like I would love to do this and I kind of was bugging him about it mm-hmm. and um it was his idea to reach out to Adam mm. so he like brought Adam in and so it, you could say I don't know maybe originally it was like kind of my idea and then Garrison Brought it full circle cool. by bringing Adam into it.
0: Well, what a killing band.
1: Yeah, and I'm just like, I'm <clears throat> so hyped that these guys not only are great buddies and great musicians, but even though they're busy, they are totally down to make time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for this. Yeah. Hang's great. Yeah. Music's great. It seems like, you know, there's a level of commitment yeah. there. Like, so far, we've barely seen any money from it. And it's like, we're rehearsing a lot, we're writing, we're like, whatever. You know, and it's like, the fact that all three of these guys are down to do that is like, amazing. It's pretty rare. Connor
0: Sample on the drums, Garrison Jones, Keys, Adam
1: Armijo on the guitar. Yes. And you, that's a killing band. Yeah, I'm stoked about it. And you're working on recordings? So, right now, I think we have six original tunes, and when we make a full-length record, It would be no less than eight tunes, but I think 10 is a good number. Mm -hmm. So I was on the phone today with somebody that works at a studio, just chatting with them. And Adam has a lot of ideas too. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to figure out what'll be right for us, our budget, the right room, the right. The the main thing Adam was telling me today is the right engineer. Mm. So of course the gear in the room and all that matters, but it's really working with the right person. Mm -hmm. So that's like what I'm trying to find. And we're working on t-shirts. We're working on a website Yeah, or the whole thing. I'm trying, I'm, I'm feeling very motivated. I've had a fire under my ass about this for the last couple months. That's awesome. I'm really trying to make it happen, you know, and as great, as grateful as I am to be able to make a living playing covers and doing that kind of thing. Ideally, of course, I want to be able to make a living playing my music, playing my buddy's music, playing, making art. And not being more of like a background thing or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, which Mm -hmm. I'm not knocking that at all. It's a great way to make a living. I'm stoked that I don't have a day job. Right. But I, yeah, I want to make this a career. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just feeling very motivated to do that. That's awesome. Thanks.
0: Just wanted to take a second and thank you for listening to So The Story Goes. It's really been a ton of fun for me. Uh, In January was... Uh, are, are the busiest uh, month uh, for listeners so I just wanted to encourage you to keep uh, sharing and telling your friends about these conversations and if you had a second I'd really appreciate it if you rated and reviewed it um, you could do that on Spotify and Apple Podcasts anyway thanks guys so focusing on Inkblot, you're you're working with a bunch of players in town, um, doing the sideman thing, starting your own project. Mm-hmm. Um, what does the rest of the year look like for you? Are you are you? I know you're planning a bunch of stuff with with Inkblot, and there's so much that goes into the establishment, the creation of a band. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like you know everyone is is committed to it, which is awesome because, as you say. You know, those guys are so busy with other projects. I mean fuck I work with Adam a bunch. But yeah. I know Garrison has other projects, Connor uh has other projects. So how do you um how do you how do you make time for it and like what are your priorities uh starting a band like this?
1: Well, I have plenty of time for it. I just take whatever they're willing to put in, I'll take it, mm-hmm. you know, and I just hit them up and say, when can we rehearse? And I, I'm trying to sit at home and write and make sure I have something to bring to the table or whatever. I've never really been responsible for booking a gig. Mm-hmm. I've always just been called as a sideman. Right. And so what's cool about this project is I've kind of like assumed that role. I mean, mm-hmm. anybody can do anything. Anybody can book a gig if they want or whatever, but it's kind of just so far I've been like booking these dates. Right. And a lot of times when you have a date on the calendar that is all that was really needed mm-hmm. to keep the momentum going right and it's it's great that uh, a friend uh richie is now general manager at the womack oh, okay and so he offered us a gig our first show was at the lost leaf and it was a 50 minute set and we were offered a date at womack and it's three hours yeah and i just said yes and then that was like, okay, we have to have rehearsals. We have to be able to fill this time, and that was like a really important aspect. It's not like we just use our free time to rehearse and jam or whatever. It's like we have this date on the calendar right. that's pushing all of us to do that. That's so, a
0: galvanizing thing, mm-hmm. you know.
1: Yeah. So that was that was helpful, you yeah. know. And I'm trying to kind of like continue to do that, like setting some kind of deadline, or you know, hey, I, I found the right studio. I got my buddy who's going to fund us and we're recording on these days. Cause that's when we're available, right. you know, and make sure that they're not like booked on those days, of course. But then right. when, once you have that on the calendar, it's, it's very, yeah, motivating. Yeah.
0: Right. And, and you mentioned just briefly some of the things that you're, that you have to put, you know, you, you know, basic shit, right. You got to get your website, you have to have some recordings and, and, and some merch, and this is shit that doesn't just happen. You have to, you have to really be focused and and for me personally like that stuff isn't the stuff that is inspiring like that aspect of the of the music business does not inspire me mm-hmm. um updating my fucking website like give yeah. me a break yeah um and, and i think non musicians uh maybe don't understand just the nuts and bolts of of putting a band together i mean it's it goes beyond obviously um coordinating schedules but I guess the benefit of of one of the benefits of of the cats in in your band is that everyone is so talented in in a variety of ways. So, you know, Adam can Adam can record. Everyone can record at home. Like this, just a I don't know. I'm I'm really excited. I I was gonna go to that show. Um, I didn't go to the Woolmack to to hear you guys, but I uh, I wish I had. I saw a lot of video, and I was like, "Fuck that that you guys sound so fucking good." Thank you, man. You know, yeah, damn.
1: One of one of the tunes we played was just 100% improv. No shit? That went really well. Yeah, we we ended Garrison's tune and the outro just went into whatever. Yeah. And it's cool to have a group that you can do that into.
0: For sure. Yeah. All those guys are so good at that shit. Mhm. So how did you how did you fill 3 hours? Was it was it a lot of that improv stuff or was it did you play a bunch of covers? Like how did you get it over?
1: We barely did it. Long long breaks. (laughs) Um, We played all of our originals. We did, uh, I think, the same number of covers, try to stretch out solos. Sure. Do a tune that's just purely improv. And then, you know, honestly, one of the tunes we played twice. Uh So it was one of the first tunes we opened the night up with. And then we did that at the end. And then uh, there was like an encore. And uh, you know, the Jocko tune, Portrait of Tracy? it's all harmonics, you know, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. there's like a, I don't know if there's a version of that where Garrison copped these changes from, but we did like a portrait of Tracy jam for, like, cool. for our outro, you know, nice. Yeah. Just, just improv. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you have other dates on the books? Yes. Uh, March 2nd, fingers crossed. It, it seems slightly shaky right now. Um, but I think we will be at the rebel lounge and it's for some kind of fusion showcase. Okay. Yeah. So, and I, I have big plans for that if it's if it's happening. And mm-hmm. it, it, it seems like the people that are putting it together are really trying to make it happen. I don't really know what's going on there. Mm-hmm. But um, we're going to have shirts by then. And my buddy is going to do visuals for cool. us. And uh, Ray Squared is going to film it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so that'll be a cool. She's great. That'll be a cool night. Yeah. yeah. March 2nd mm-hmm. at the Rebel Lounge. It's a Wednesday, I okay. believe. Yep.
0: Nice. I want to go to that. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate your time, man. Great
1: to see you. Thanks for uh, having me.
0: We have yet to play together mm-hmm. in a formal setting, mm-hmm. so I hope that uh, that we have an opportunity for that. I think that'd be a lot of
1: fun. Same. So yeah. Yeah. Go. Cool, brother. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks, Dylan. So the story go.